students around the world are finishing their qualifications so they can get ahead in life and make their contribution. If you are studying, researching or thinking about it, you will need practical tips, techniques, coaching and support to help you get finished and be successful. I'm Peter Alkema, the Student Success Coach, and welcome to the podcast. Each episode, I interview successful students and leaders in education so that you will learn everything you need right here. You will learn about writing, completing your thesis and other projects, planning, discipline, how to get more done, supervisors, getting published, getting finished, how to have the right discipline and many other aspects of student life. Whether you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, Google or any other podcast platform, please leave a rating and a review. Or if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe and leave a comment. Either way, please get in touch and let us know what you think of the show and what you want to hear more of. Please always check the show notes for links to courses, material and plenty more so that you can use what you've learned in each episode take action and achieve your student success. Please also join the Student Success Coach community in our exclusive members-only Facebook group where I post regularly and you can interact with fellow students just like yourself. Remember, you can't do this alone, so reach out, get involved and take advantage. It's my commitment to your success. Now for this week's episode. Robert, welcome. And uh, yeah, it's great to have you on the show. I'm so glad we've managed to get this set up. I know you are incredibly busy as a, as a very successful businessman in the banking industry in South Africa, but you have a long and distinguished career in academics, uh, having studied at Oxford and many other fine institutions. So I'm keen to get into all the lessons that you can share with our listeners today, many of whom are studying themselves part-time or considering getting into studying. But before we get into all of those tips and tricks and techniques that I want to get out of your many years of experience and, and incredible wisdom that you have to share with us, maybe just give us a little bit of background in terms of your, your studies that you've done over the years and your journey. And maybe as we call this student uh, success podcast, uh, your definition of, of success as a student um, in all of those years of studying and, and academic endeavors. Rob. Right. Well, I certainly um, have not taken a very traditional uh, academic uh, uh, journey um, th through my life. Um, I think it really started off uh, with the fact that I was 16 in matric and had to make um, uh, career uh, choices and choices on what to study. And I think at that time, one certainly has very little experience of, of yourself and what you wanted to do and what you should be doing and what was available out there. So um, I, I looked at the WITS and I uh, realized that um, I probably was more interested in the sciences. Um, and there were two subjects there that I didn't know anything about. One was microbiology and one was biochemistry. So I thought, all right, well, I'd major in both of those. So, you know, that's a 16-year-old making a very bad um, academic um, de decision. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I found it interesting enough that I actually completed the degree. 
Um, but then when I, I got to the end of that, I was now 20 and uh, I didn't want to go to the army. So I decided, well, I would stay on and do honors in, in microbiology. Um, uh, I didn't actually do um, anything for until the 11th of September of, the, of that year, other than play bridge. Um, and why I know the 11th of September, it was the um, day my professor was coming back from sabbatical and the day it snowed in, in Johannesburg. And I spent the day in the library trying to find out what mononuclear phagocytes were, because theoretically I'd been spending nine months um, studying them. Uh, I, I continued to realize that I probably didn't want to stay in the science field, so I then went into, um, started a BCom uh, part-time, and uh, a friend of mine said, if I'm going to do a BCom, I must do it properly and I must major in accounting. So um, I then uh, started to study a, a Bachelor of Accountancy um, to uh, qualify as a Chartered Accountant, um, and uh, that actually was probably when I realized that I actually was pivoting and uh, then realized I had to go start articles. So I gave up um, my job as a biohydrometallurgist where I was developing a way to mine gold using bacteria and went and started um, articles. Um, the articles were, were fun. I, I really um, enjoyed the people side of articles more than the, the accounting side which I think is a bit surprising because I don't think people go into um, a chartered accountant uh, knowing that um, uh, it was about people and not only about numbers. Anyway, after um, uh, completing uh, um, articles, um, I was faced with a career decision to stay in the auditing profession or not, and uh, decided to take a sabbatical and uh, when I returned, uh, some of my ex-clients uh, offered me jobs. Uh, one was in a stockbroking business and the other one actually in advertising. I thought that the one in advertising sounded a bit more interesting. So um, I then went into uh, advertising for uh, um, a couple of years before I was approached to join Anglo-American um, uh, in, in the um, risk and audit services. Um, at that time, they, they asked me to do a, uh, uh, they were running an in-house MBA through uh, Unis School of Business Leadership, and I was selected to go on that, and uh, was then exposed to sort of business and business strategy. Um, I then moved into banking from, from that. Uh, First Rand had um, been formed and Anglo-American was one of the major shareholders of it at the time, so I moved into it. And uh, um, then started to study, uh, well, I actually realized that I needed to understand the industry of the financial planning. So I did a postgraduate diploma in um, uh, financial management, financial planning and qualified as a, a CFP. Um, one of the in-house uh, training courses that we did at, Anglo uh, at First Rand at the time was around strategy. And this is actually when I was in my 40s that I started to realize that I was um, now uh, finding something that really interested me. So strategy and innovation became uh, an area of interest. And uh, I was doing a lot of the work practically um, in First Rand. 
when I decided that actually I do wanted to do something that mixed the two, two together, the two things being um, a lifelong um, desire to study at one of the top international universities and also to get more technical understanding on strategy and innovation and uh, went through a rather protracted process to apply to Oxford and was accepted and uh, did a master's level degree in strategy and innovation there. I think to come back to your, um, your uh, second question that you started off asking is, uh, I think it was, uh, what did I get out of this? Or what was the learning from this? Um, I think that my varied uh, academic uh, career in so many different disciplines has created uh, me a, a, an ability to think and pull on different um, inputs when solving problems. Um, I think that as a consequence of it, I'm not just like an accountant who would only look at the numbers. I would uh, approach the problem in very much a scientific way because of my scientific brandy, uh, training. At the same time, with a strategy, I would apply that scientific thinking to strategy, but at the same time, make sure that the financial side was certainly included. Um, I think also understanding different aspects of different um, uh, industries really helps you pr uh, have a much more uh, nuanced uh, understanding. So um, I did my honours on a virus very closely related to um, HIV virus. In fact, in the year that the, the virus was discovered. So, you know, if, if I look at the economic impact of, um, uh, of AIDS on the South African economy, I had a scientific understanding of, of what we were dealing with rather than just a economic understanding or a, um, psychological understanding. So um, I've been asked this question because people have uh, found me, my academic career particularly strange and have asked me this question um, uh, a number of times, would I, would I do it differently? I, I think if I had started with strategy and innovation, I'd be a far less rounded person and I think I would be a weaker strategist because I don't have as much depth of experience to pull on because every problem that you look at is very different. And I think the more varied you are um, and the more um, different disciplines that, that, that you've got, you've got more to pull on in order to, to solve problems. Rob, thank you very much. And uh, I was just counting your degrees as you were going through your experience. I think I got to four or five, counting the uh, master's level strategy uh, qualification at Oxford. But you probably lost count along the way. But as you uh, said, it's, it's six and I did have three professional um, qualifications where I registered professional bodies, but now I've only got two. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, and, and just, I mean, your final sort of thoughts around how that multi experience and um, training gives you just that sort of very rounded approach to solving problems and uh, I mean you were very close to my own PhD and something that I learned as well as I tried to bring some of the social sciences thinking into a very scientific um, domain like software engineering and really starting to unlock those insights as you apply learnings and methodologies from one you know track into another and I think, you know, that's where the future is, is at the boundaries, it's at the intersections between these different fields. And I think just so insightful for people listening that um, 
as you say, it was only until you in your 40s, you know, after getting a couple of degrees in some interesting topics, but perhaps wasn't where you wanted to spend the rest of your life, that you ultimately then managed to zero in on, on what was going to make the most difference for you, but that you did in a way that drew on all of that experience that you had got up until until that point. So Rob, I guess, you know, I mean, what I'm looking for and what would be so useful for our listeners is just any advice. And I mean, I, I think, you know, people listening are going to be looking for answers, looking for quick fixes, looking for something practical that they can do tomorrow or the next week, or, you know, they're they're grappling and, and people are struggling and they're still in those phase of, you know, like you've been through it now, you've, you've been through that decision-making process, you've gone down the cul-de-sacs, you've come back, you've done the pivots, et cetera. What would be some advice, you know, at a practical level that people can implement to make their way through their own academic journeys? Well, I, I recently was a, a speaker at a um, university's um, conference on the future of the fourth industrial revolution and the impact on, on education. And um, I, I the, the point that I was making up there is that um, the the, the world is changing and we cannot be as narrow um, in our, our discipline. So for example, if you were studied pharmacy, you really have got to understand um, what the fourth industrial revolution, some understanding of data and AI, etc. because your the, the nature of your uh, pharmacy, uh, it could be pharmacy or architecture or any, any degree is going to be driven by this. And I made a plea to the university that what they need to do is make sure that the structure of the degrees uh, are open enough for people to uh, bring in course, courses, uh, modules, or even introductory modules into these disciplines of AI and big data, etc., in order to um, uh, make the de degrees more round. Now, I think if you're finding yourself at a university that hasn't adopted that approach, and I can tell you that in my BSc, I was forced to do an honours degree. I, I did it in, um, uh, well, I actually started off in, in um, art history, and then I did it in um, political science and institutions uh, before doing economics in, in it. Um, and similarly, in my you had to do communications, which was really a, an arts degree. Um, I think that you can actually enhance your degrees by by looking at those uh, uh, non-traditional subjects and add them on as extra courses and or in this day really look at uh, modular courses that you can add on through things like Coursera or any of those type of um, uh, MOOCs that are of these type of courses because I think that the 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 fringe uh, qualifications um, that you can get will actually enhance your, your core quali qualifications and make you far better at, at what you're doing. If you're an accountant and you've done something like like that, uh, it, it's Steve Jobs but doing calligraphy, which actually helped him design a better looking um, uh, mobile phone. So um, I, my, 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 in, unless you are an absolute specialist is only interested in Everest, I think you need to broaden your uh, knowledge and experience by tacking on these different little courses and or, um, or uh, 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 subjects onto your degree to make it a much more rounded. And I actually think it actually makes it more interesting to interview somebody where you can actually ask them 
why in your accounts degree did you um, uh, add, add on um, stats? Uh, or why did you add on English literature? Or why did you add on French? I actually think that those things will become differentiators because if you've got interest in French and you're an accountant, French firms would be much more interested in looking at your CV than one who doesn't have it. Rob, I love that. So, um, you know, just your point around these sort of non-traditional subjects could become the differentiators. Um, I think that is just such an, an awesome insight where people are maybe getting stuck, you know, in the sort of traditional track that they feel they're expected to complete and work through, but perhaps lose hope in how they'll, you know, make a difference or how that will help them you know, make a contribution in perhaps what is a well-worn path that they're just following for the sake of it. And as you say, with the impact of the fourth industrial revolution on so many industries, and you mentioned pharmacy and a couple of others, we almost have to anticipate that by starting in our own lives and disrupting our traditional view of what an education is and what a degree is and what are the steps we take to get that qualification behind our name, which is ultimately not necessarily what it's all going to be about in the future. Well, in the UK, um, people can choose, if you want to become a chartered accountant, you do any undergrad degree. It could be in history, it could be in classics, etc. And then only when you start to do articles, do you actually start to train up on that. I think it creates a, um, a very different type of um, accountant to the typical South African ones, which are very much around a very narrow discipline. Um, and uh, I, I really think that... Um, uh, if you are too narrow, you're, you're not going to see the opportunities. I think every degree should have been exposed to some type of um, climate change, um, uh, um, data, um, uh, new technology, a little bit of coding, um, because I think that that will make you more, more rounded. But I, I certainly would um, add, add on things like um, art history. Um, a friend of ours who was a, an art uh, teacher at a primary school said, um, uh, why, why are you so fixated on, in fact, she was a lawyer teaching art. Um, and she said, one day these kids are going to be students. And if they're plastic, uh, 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 sorry, doctors, and if they're a plastic surgeon and they know how to draw, they're going to be much more better at doing beautiful uh, plastic surgery rather than, than rough plastic surgery. And I think it also becomes with accountants who've got some sensitivity when they put together the presentations that they can make them look prettier than, than just aerial uh, ones. So uh, they, I think, do think these extra disciplines actually help um, mold you into a much more um, holistic um, in, individual who's got ability to um, stand out. And Rob, I mean, the two examples that you gave there of the doctor and the accountant, and it talks to how we sort of produce and consume information, you know, has changed so much. And the emphasis is placed, I think, so much more now on the packaging and the sort of aesthetics and the and the person receiving the communication. And, you know, with the sort of goldfish bowl rule that we have of everybody being so busy and disrupted in their own lives, to get your message across, you can't rely on the fact that it is important important accounting or it is just because the doctor said so you know there is that sort of artistic element to to everything that we communicate today I, I refer to the fact that I, I was forced to do a communication studies course um in my 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 BAC and um in fact I elected to do the verbal presentation one 
which actually was my, my week of my verbal versus written. And it was probably one of the most valuable courses that, that I did. Because when I was a CFO, you've got to present budgets. You've got to get people over the line with, 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 with your budgets. And, uh, you know, if you've actually had the type of training, you're much more effective in your presentation skills and the, the way you construct your messages. And funny enough, those those um, basic things that I, I learned uh, in, in that one-year one uh, course that I was forced to do have actually really ha been very valuable as um, I've matured into a much more rounded general management manager than, 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 than a narrow uh, chartered accountant. And Rob, I've I've see, I've had the pleasure of seeing you present to a room full of people, and you can be extremely persuasive, and you've put all of those skills to very good use, uh, certainly in the corporate roles that I've seen you operate. Rob, let's um let's talk about Oxford. I mean, so you said that it was a lifelong um, goal of yours. Why was that? And I think you know people do respect it as a, an incredible institution. My grandfather, as I mentioned to you previously, um, he read history at at Balliol College in Oxford. And I know that, you know, you had a wonderful time when you were over there. So just talk us through the journey of your expectations and whether it met up and what you got out of it, etc. All right. Um, I, I think that um, wanting to study at, at an international university was part of trying to benchmark myself uh, on an international stage, being one. And, and two, um, the, the access to um, incredible uh, lecturers, um, you know, world-class class lecturers. I think those were the, the, the two things that I, I wanted to um, wanted the experience for. Um, my, my, my story of this is actually more interesting. Um, a Harvard professor did a business case study um, uh, on a product that I launched at FMB and taught it uh, to the MBA class at Oxford. And um, I remained in contact with um, this uh, professor over the years. Um, he was then appointed um, the Dean of the Business School at Oxford. And um, I visited him once when I was in the UK and um, um, he mentioned to me that he really thought that the one, uh, this course was the one that would actually be very good for me. So a couple of years later, um, I, applied for, for the course um, and then I got another um, uh, reply from them and then they asked me to send through a, a CV and um, uh, a few other bits of information which I uh, sent through uh, thinking that was the end of the interview and then I got the call from somebody who said that um, they've considered me and they think I might have a chance of getting in so I'd be encouraged to apply. Well, by the state, I really thought I'd applied twice. And that's when the detailed um, application started. They wanted every mark that I got for every subject of every degree at every university that I was at. I had essays I had to write and I had to get um, uh, references um, and write a letter of motivation of why I, I would uh, want to do this course. Um, I think that I was not the only one who was uh, astounded to find that we had got through. I remember my first um, uh, visit there, uh, four of us uh, went out for dinner and every single one of us were absolutely astounded that we had actually managed to make it because 
um, the, you know, it, it was a real challenge to, 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 to get in. Um, the, the class was absolutely amazing. I mean, we had um, one person with three PhDs who was voted the, fi the runner-up for the finest foreign student UK for a PhD. Um, we had um, deans of um, uh, vice chancellors of universities uh, in the class. We had um, uh, the person who had codified cost accounting for the world. Um, we had the ex-chief of police for California. So, I mean, they were absolutely ama amazing people. And um, I think that that is probably one of the most uh, amazing things is that um, the, the, they, they said that a, th a third of your learning would come out of your class. Uh, I, I didn't understand it. But during the, um, the case studies, um, when they spoke about the golf spill, they said, well, this is how they handled it. And um, one of my classmates put their hand up and said, no, 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 I was on that um, team. The emails, uh, the, the website fell down. We used emails to in order to get around and we'll do that. So um, when we spoke about the Google Glass, the guy from California said, no, no, no. Sergey Brin said, no, the, the, you know, he didn't do it that way, he did it this way. So the, the truth of the matter, the quality of the people that were in the class were uh, incredible part of, of the learning. Um, I, the, the academic style at, at Oxford is, is very different from um, what I'd ever been expect, is, uh, experienced in South Africa. Um, they say there is no wrong or right, there are only good or bad answers, um, there are no model answers for any of the exams. Um, uh, it, 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 is, it is very subjective. Um, and uh, really actually just challenges you on, on um, thinking. Um, so that, that, that was a, a very interesting insight. Um, I, I also really enjoyed the research and thesis part of it. Um, it was forcing um, you to find some really interesting new stuff in order to explore and um, really do some dedicated research into it. And although uh, time was very short and was very cha challenging in it, um, I really think that I ended up actually finding something new that I, I feel um, other people can use and helped add a bit more knowledge to the world. Fantastic, Rob. And at the end of the day, although the quality is incredible and it attracts an, an amazing standard of students, I guess it is just another university. I mean, yes, it is obviously one of the top ones around the world, but at the end of the day, it's an organization that attracts students to take them through a journey with a learning outcome, and they have a style of doing it and a long and proud tradition and a history. And, uh, you, know, you know, for students to select and look at universities, they've got to take all these things into criteria, into consideration, I guess, and ultimately do what's right for them and 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 for their you know career and 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 for their situation so not all universities are right for everybody and um, the Syed business school specifically looks for people who want to make a difference to the world who have um uh, some type of soul that, uh, they want it they specifically focus on africa they have the highest intake from africa which is uh, i think about between 10 and 14 percent and um, in a recent thing I've said, they also focus on women. They've got, uh, I think they had 39% um, of women in, in their class. So they they select very much uh, around uh, that 
and that's why you, there's motivation that you write to actually look at it. I recently did a, um, uh, five um, uh, references for an individual um, ex-member of staff who was applying at uh, Harvard, Columbia, Princeton, Yale, and um, uh, a, a fifth one. I had to write uh, five different um, uh, application uh, references for him. Um, he didn't get into his first choice, which was the university that his girlfriend was going to. But he said to me at the end, he said, you know, I ended up in the right one because the one that he was going to was much more around his values. And they obviously had selected him through my reference and his motivation, which aligned the values with the organization. So Oxford worked with me because um, uh, I knew what Peter Tafano's focus on Africa, focus on inclusive banking, um, because that's what we had done the, the work with uh, prior. But at the same time, uh, it really uh, worked for me, the fact that you write exams in subfusc, which are, which are uh, black suits, bla um, white ties and gowns with hats on. You actually go and write that. At um, the, the tradition, you, you wear um, a white carnation for your first exam, pink carnations for all your other exams, and a red carnation for your last exam. And when you graduate, you go and jump in the Cherville River. So, um, you know, I think that those traditions, the, the formal um, uh, dinners that they have in, 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 in the halls, um, the fact you belong to a college and not a university, there, there are 38 colleges and that actually is your university. The, the Oxford University is just a governing body over, over the top. Um, the fact that they have the most strange academic, in undergrad, you don't attend lectures. You have one-on-one -on -one coaching with, with your, your uh, lecturers. It's very inefficient, but it ends up with a completely customized academic program for each individual. Um, because what happens in the first week, you, 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 you meet with your lecturer, he discusses a topic, you go and write an essay on it, he marks it, and then you come back and he discusses it with you. And then after that, he'll say, well, listen, you obviously didn't understand this or you find this exciting. So now next week you'll go and look at and do another essay on that topic. It is for this reason that Oxford is continuously rated the best university in the world, undergraduate university. Um, it is an incredibly inefficient uh, way of, of, of teaching, but an incredibly effective way of customizing a university degree for, for an individual. So um, you know, if, if you're after money, Harvard is the, the way to go because, uh, you know, th those degrees get you the biggest salary jumps. Um, I do think that uh, um, a degree from the Oxford uh, Business School really rounds you to be much more of a, um, a person who helped change the world. Rob, thank you. That's incredible insight and so useful for everyone just to get that, you know, to look behind the curtain of this sort of, as you say, the top university in the world, and that really is interesting. Um, Rob, maybe just then some of the sort of practical aspects of studying, as you said, and there are traditions attached to it, but at the end of the day, I mean, there are some common skills that I think students really need to focus on and make sure that they spend enough time on to be successful. You know, things like writing and being able to develop a good thesis statement and go through a proposal to have a study approved. You were very helpful, you know, in, in my final stages of writing up my dissertation you know, in the section where I needed to present back my findings in a way that was useful for the industry, et cetera. So maybe, you know, just your thoughts and advice on some of those core student skills that are going to be necessary wherever you study, 
um, and will be slightly different in different faculties and, and disciplines, etc. But what have you learned over the years? Yeah. So uh, the first thing is I think that people have got very different learning style. Uh, and it takes you time to understand your, your learning style. So I learn by listening and drawing. Um, I, I always attend lectures because I, I seem to absorb knowledge easiest through my ears rather than reading. Other people, like a, a friend's son, I don't think he went to um, a single lecture. He graduated um, top of his class and was in an uh, FME graduate program. Um, and just completed an MBA at the London Business School, but he doesn't go to lectures. He he reads. That's how he he takes information in. Um, uh, other people uh, learn by writing notes. It's the way that they they get the, the the knowledge in. So I think that understanding your your, your style um, is is quite a, your learning style is, is quite important. Um, some people need to discuss it, you know, where you teach it to people, etc. That's the way of doing it. So I think there are different uh, styles of learning. I think you need to know, know yours. Um, the, the, the second is that there's so many opportunities available in, in universities. Like lectures are really available, much more available than, than students think. So if you don't understand, you should be, you should be speaking to them. Um, I think that uh, uh, classmates you, you can deal with. Um, there, there's a lot more reading. If, you, if you're a reader and you want more information, you, you can take it in like that. So uh, I think the, the first thing is understanding your, your learning style um, and then uh, realizing that you've got all these resources that all universities have. Uh, they don't always look obvious and you need to make sure you're um, accessing them. Uh, you had another question, but I... Rob, just, yeah, so uh, absolutely, and I mean the learning process. So, so I learn by writing, um, and maybe, you know, that was sort of, you know, part of the um, part of the question around writing and sort of, you know, and that sort of being a critical measure in a higher education qualification and something that, you know, students do need to get good at. And I've, you know, put courses and workshops together and certainly in a, an environment where English is a second language, for example, you know, writing as a discipline and good academic research and being able to go through that in a qualification. And as I said, something that, you know, you helped me with in my own dissertation just to make sure that I was writing for my reader, which was somebody in the industry that wanted to learn something from the theory and the results that I had produced. You know, what are your sort of words of wisdom around that writing and researching right. process? So um, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a writer, but I'm a summarizer. I like to distill all these facts until I can actually get it onto one page. So um, I tend to uh, write my own notes and then I take those into a, um, 10 pages of notes and then I try to get it down to one page. And that one page tends to have frameworks. Right. And these frameworks are the type of frameworks that you would um, use in writing, in analyzing, etc. And they can be used um, in, in, in business writing, they can be used in uh, analyzing a problem, or they can be used in um, uh, communication. So um, I, I think that uh, if, you, if you do have frameworks, 
and a, and a whole variety of frameworks that that you well I've collected over my years. I can actually then take those frameworks and apply them to a problem, which means that your communication and the um, the way you, your output is a lot more structured and accessible to to um, uh, to to the reader or the or the person listening to to the the conversation. It's a bit like the the simple thing about a presentation: tell the people what you're going to do, come with the story, and then summarize at the end. But that's just one. I think there are a lot more different ones which are sometimes um, more uh, useful for complicated problems. Mm. So Rob, I guess, you know, we're either learning about frameworks that have been developed to help us understand the world and then applying those, or hopefully we're developing new knowledge and new frameworks based on our studies and the results and the analysis that we've done to help other people mm. understand the world. And, uh, you know, I followed grounded theory, which is an inductive research method that, you know, at the end of it, you actually produce a theory which is grounded in the data and in a very structured, you know, systematic way. That was how I presented sort of my results and my data. And I guess, you know, for students listening and people that have the opportunity and have chosen the right university for them to go and do research, as you said right at the beginning, you know, the world is changing and we need people to make a contribution. We need people to extend our knowledge of the world for humanity. And we all have that important role to play. And even though we may wish we could change the world far quicker in our own degrees, we're often only able to do it one little step at a time. And that's often the danger is we bite off too much and then we fail or we drop out. Rather have a narrow, well-defined scope and produce a good contribution within that than a very wide scope and then we we'd actually sort of fall off the bus during the process. So just, I mean, your thoughts about striking that right balance and in your own experience of doing research? I think it depends on on, on the problem. Um, I have often given advice to people writing and uh, doing their uh, research uh, thesis to start off as narrow as possible, because even if you start as narrow as possible, the nature of the problem will actually force you to become a little bit more uh, broad uh, in it. So if you start broad, you're, it's like boiling in the ocean, right? But I don't think it always applies um, to every uh, uh, research problem. So um, a colleague of, of ours that has um, uh, just completed a, a master's at the CAS Business School, he chose um, a problem that had not been researched at all before. And in fact, he's graduated uh, with distinction um, on, on his thesis. And it was an incredibly general way of looking at this problem, only because it really had to really start to actually figure out whether this um, nebulous opportunity actually had any, any justification. And all he did is really look at it from a very nebulous way with absolutely no um, uh, tight starting point and ended up with saying, basically saying, I can't tell you if it works, but I can tell you that I think it's worth researching. And it was so completely different um, that they, uh, I gave him a distinction for it. And really what the, his problem that he was looking at said, could artificial intelligence and uh, that type of stuff be used in policy uh, determination by governments. Wow. Rob, 
incredible stuff i mean just yeah you've given us such an interesting you know perspective on a very sort of advanced world of, of research and development of knowledge and frameworks and uh, so grateful for that rob just uh, you know last couple of thoughts it's been a tough year you know we've been through 2020 i mean this interview will probably air in 2021 but you know we're going to feel the effects of uh, you know the lockdowns and the depressed economy not only in our home country south africa but you know around the world and um, you know, students like anybody else are going to have lots of uncertainty, and ultimately just want to become self-sufficient, provide for themselves and their family, etc. I guess the world of you know education is also going to be disrupted, and you know, no, none of us are going to be able to see the future you know perfectly. But in that context of you know a depressed economy, lots of uncertainty, ongoing disruption, you know, how do people make sense of it? And use their education and their qualifications or the opportunities they have to study to find their path to find their way you know through the world and all the difficulties that are being thrown at them you've had a distinguished career you've done exceptionally well you've got a, a list of degrees behind you many people will say you've arrived i know you will continue working hard and making a contribution but you know somebody 20 25 30 years still at the early stages living in an incredibly fascinating time in the world but equally very challenging in the context of an academic career you know what what would be your last sort of thoughts of of, of advice and wisdom for them right. well if you go back um 50 to 100 years the world was very slow and very static if you decided to become a um a, a lawyer um the law was uh, very limited uh, very static and uh, you, you, you learnt it and then you applied it. The world has sped up um, from the 50s and exponentially. So, you know, all of a sudden our lawyers need to know things like um, uh, electronic signing and um, uh, patents over um, digital patents and, you know, things like that were not physical. So um, the, the world is becoming um, it was changed at an exponential rate. So I don't think you can sit back and think that your starting point is actually going to continue um, as, as it is um, for, for forever. So if your starting point is a, um, um, a, a, an accountant, um, you've got to actually realize that uh, the world is changing so fast, you've got to keep up, up with the pace. So um, if, you, if you look at, you can't actually just look at, you've got to actually understand the, the, the drivers in, in, in the world and make sure that you're responding to making sure you are in the stream. So um, if you're an accountant and you're not getting on this data journey, you are going to become irrelevant and you're going to miss the stream. Um, if you're an accountant and you're not worrying about global uh, climate change, you're not going to produce integrated reports that are going to get, go to crack it. Um, if you are an accountant and you're not understanding that millennials have very different ways of working, you're not going to be able to get them full time and the gig economy is coming. You've got to actually start to understand that and you've got to actually understand how to work with them and the technologies that enable people to work in the gig economy. Um, I don't know what, what the next changes are going to be, but with COVID, um, I think we're going, we've had a, a much bigger uh, um, 
uh, change in, in this trajectory. And all of a sudden, people start to say, I don't even have to be in Johannesburg for our work. Um, so, I mean, that's just one of the changes. And you've got to get your mind around, otherwise you're going to lose that talent. Um, I think that uh, um, people, it, there's going to be an incredible change to the, the psyche of people. Um, I think that uh, human connectedness is, is going to change. Um, with people not going to the office, you've got to actually figure out other ways of, of connecting. And, you know, connecting 15 years ago, who would have thought you'd send a thing called an emoji to, to show that you actually like something? Now everybody uses emojis. I don't know what's going to come out of it, but we've got to realize we're going to have to adapt very, very quickly to whatever's going to be an emoji way to send a communication to a remote worker is probably not in your country. It's only working for, for you for three and a half hours a week because the rest of the time they actually want to be a stay-at-home mother um, because uh, they actually are homeschooling their kids because they actually have given up on the traditional way of schooling. So the, the world is going to be changed. Um, you've got to be open to, to these winds of change and making sure that you are uh, surfing them uh, as as as, the, as those um, waves come. Rob, thank you. And I guess you know, use your studies as a vehicle, but you know, open the windows and make sure that you participate and contribute and be integrated in everything else that is going on. And I think you know the point that you made just now around that evolution means that we can't think in those buckets or silos anymore you know like we said at the very beginning it's in the margins it's in the interdisciplinary work that we do where the magic is going to come and look out for that be proactive think outside of your box look for those opportunities make things happen for yourself rob you know this time that we've had together has been full of wonderful insights and i've been very grateful to have access to you and your wisdom and everyone that's been listening uh, i'm sure it's given us all pause for thought and consideration to just reassess where we are and how we're going to participate in this fast-changing world so rob thank you very much appreciate your time it's been fun thank you for inviting me